The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS. Brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get your Big Barker with a process pup patch at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners get, go and get engaged. And Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, the offseason is saved as the Brooklyn Nets defer their taking of the Sixers' first-round pick and give us draft night. Now, they may end up trading that, but can't be traded before that. So they give the Ricky and Sixers fans draft night everywhere. Uh, Made-up trade season has arrived in the mailbag, and we officially offer our support to one of the two finals teams and bring someone on to formally accept that support later on in the pod. Um, I did mention kinetic skateboarding. Now, I've mentioned the hoodies and t-shirts and stuff like that a lot, but I have not mentioned the shoes a lot. They get sneakers there that they don't get anywhere else. They get these short runs of shoes that only happen in super cool skate shops. Converse, New Balance, Vans, Nike, stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. I recommend you keep an eye on their Instagram because that's where a lot of it debuts. And then when you go and buy them on the website, use promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy doing the pod from his girlfriend's parents' house in front of a painting of wine. That is one Mike Levin. Uh, that isn't me. No. That is our, that is our friend CJ. And yep. I hope that the parents are watching live <laughs> as CJ does his job. <laughs> um, speaking of doing his job, I saw someone do their job last night, and it was our friend Amos Lee. Oh, you went to the show? Doing a concert at the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. That's awesome. How was the show? It was delightful. He's great. Someone fainted during the show. Mm, that happens um, all the time during Amos Lee shows. Because of Amos, pres- yep. presumably. Uh, they Apparently they were claustrophobic or something. They were sitting on the aisle. Feels like the least claustrophobic place, whatever. But Amos handled it like a gentleman. People called for a medic. Some doctors came. Amos didn't play while it was happening. Not really a Travis Scott situation. He handled it well. I was proud of him for it. Um, and then everybody, everything was okay. And he moved on and played some more delightful songs. And uh, 
at one point he did, he was shouting people out during the show, people that were there and friends of his or whatever who came to the show or something. And I was, and he asked, he invited me, which is cool. Um, and I was like, I wonder if he's going to say something. I wonder if he's going to sing the Ricky song Ooh. at the, at the show. Um, he didn't sing the song, but he did shout me out during the concert, which was very weird. That's never happened to me before. It's pretty and cool, isn't it? It was pretty cool. Yep. And he did it uh, in a Philadelphia accent. Um, and I just can't imagine anyone at that moment knew what the fuck was going on at the show. People, he's got such a big well, fan base, d- devoted fan base for like, you know, 20 plus, 20 years or so, right? His career has been a long yep, career. Yep. And, uh, and then... All of a sudden, he's you know he's got these beautiful songs, romantic songs, emotional songs, and then he turns on this fucking gross ass hoagie mouth, Tony Tony to Tony accent to shout out his cousin Mike, and uh, what a what a weird thing. So, so I love him, and uh, that was very cool. So he sent me a video of him and some guy yeah, outside. He sent, he sent me that to you. Uh, yeah. Did he mention that the guy asked for me and Kyrie? Uh, to to be sung. Yes. Wow. <laughs> he said. Me and Kyrie. He's had me and Kyrie requests at like I think three different locales that Great. are not Philadelphia. He's just tanking his career for us. <laughs> yeah. We didn't ask him to do it. He's just willingly doing it. Himself. No, maybe but he wants it. Maybe he said, twenty years is a lot of time to be doing the same job. Maybe he just he wants he's ready to be for a, a change. Yeah, yeah puppet anyway, hoagie. Great guy. Guy. I love him. Yeah. Uh, great concert. So wonderful news, and and do see it. I, I saw it in New York at the Beacon Theater. Do see it. He's touring through the summer, and then there will be fall dates too, but it's a, a great album, and he's uh, it's worth seeing him on tour. My brother and I are going to go see it at Red Rocks in Colorado in, uh, in August. I have not been there for a show yet, and I'm excited to see it again. So yeah. So huge news today. Apparently, the deadline was 5 p.m. We knew it was June 1st. It was 5 p.m. for the... I was going to say New Jersey Nets, but the Brooklyn Nets to decide whether they would take the Sixers first round pick this year or defer to next year. The good news for us is that it defers to next year, meaning that the Sixers will make a selection in the first round of the 2022 draft. They can then go and trade it. The, I guess, sort of negative here, sort of negative, is that since that locks in like the Sixers can't trade a future first now. Yeah. Um, they have their 23, 25, and 27 promised away. Yeah. And because of um, that NBA rule, you can't trade in consecutive years. So so now all you need is, I'm sorry, all you need is a first round pick. So if they got a first round pick back in any of those years, they could trade theirs away. They just need a first round pick. Sure. So. Yeah. And the so the 2023 one is the only one that's unprotected. So... I think this is ultimately the right result for both teams. Like Brooklyn, a 20, a, the 23rd overall pick doesn't do much for them. They have young guys that they just drafted that are, you know, pretty good. Um, so I think having a pick in their back pocket that they can trade later for more established help is probably more beneficial to them. And for the Sixers, like they just need, they need help right now, whether that's making a selection of a guy who can step in right now and play, you know, ninth man minutes. Um, That'd be great, uh, or or trading it with a you know a, a Danny or a Tobias or something like that to get the to get the trade that they want. Um, how depressing is it that months after we get James Harden, <laughs> we're like yeah the, we get deciding that. you know Brooklyn saying like deferring a selection is like this is the this is the best news of the offseason. This is yep. where some life has been 
breathed into this monstrous situation. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Sixers need, we're going to be talking about the draft for the next couple of weeks, but the well, Sixers need help now. They have limited ways to get it. And one of the ways they can get it is by, sim. I don't think they're going to make the pick. I think they're probably going to trade it with something. But like just drafting a slightly older, ready to contribute player right now would be a, like, that's very necessary. And you see teams do that all the time. Last in last year's draft, Ayo Desunmu, Herb Jones, plenty of guys. Grant Williams is ready to play. There's so many guys. It's not hard to draft a role player. You take swings on guys like Jaden Springer was a, a bigger swing because he's so young and he was talented and, and performed well at Tennessee. But it, everybody knew he was on the raw side, so it wouldn't be a performing right away situation. But it's not hard to find those kinds of players that can step in and be a playable role player and capitalize on the fact that the contract is cheap, especially in the first round, and the fact that they're still fucking athletic and haven't slowed down to a crawl like most of the Sixers' current roster has. Two things. First of all, you mentioned breathing life into into this. It's almost as if it's like in Seven, where the guy kept the people alive just long enough to torture them more. Mm. You know, breathing life for what purpose, I think, is the, the real answer there. The other thing, you say that a lot. I think I would disagree that it's easy to draft it is. a role player. It I, straight up is. It's hard to draft stars. It really is very hard to draft stars. I wouldn't say that I'm good at it, good at like thinking of who's going to become like a top 15, 20 player in the league outside of the top, you know, two two spots or whatever. But it's easy to draft role players. It is. Mm, nah. I don't think it is. It I is. Mean, it, the, like you can see what it's not like you're trying to like finding talent. You're not like looking into like preschools and going like who who's good. You're like you're watching them play like in a ton of different tournaments and leagues, whether it's European or here in in college and playing good and see their growth from year to year in high school. These guys are scouted a lot. It's just I, not hard. People just try, overthink it and try to find somebody. Like it's the benefit of being the Sixers or the Nuggets or the Grizzlies or teams that have like established number one options is that you're not looking for another number one option. You really just you set your expectations to we're just going to hit like a single or a double here. And like you can take you can take swings. I don't, I'm not against taking swings and targeted moments, but the Sixers really right now need desperately need a guy who can come in and play like decent two-way basketball right away and show some pop and breathe some life into this team because they, they've they just been so slow and athletic for a while and they they really, really desperately need it. And they're capable of doing it. Maybe they think that that guy is better off in a in a trade with a veteran that they can get rid of Danny's contract and find whatever it is. That's entirely possible. Um, but there will be a number of like 10 to 12-year NBA careers that are going to happen in the 20s of this draft. Um, and they could find one if they wanted to. I still think it's a little bit harder than you you make it out to be. It isn't. It just isn't. <laughs> but so many. I don't know. I don't know why I'm chasing. It just isn't. This. Look at the look at the uh, the Matisse draft. Uh, there's but look there's at Matisse. A, a, a he stinks. Yeah, because I mean, he's he's a one way player, and you were hoping, but he's still like an NBA rotation player. That's a rotation player. That's a guy who could come in right away and and play some role. He's not. I'm not saying he's a star. I'm not saying he should even be a starter. But you can find guys who can help in a bunch of ways right now. I like how, and then I'll move on, I promise. I like how your your reasoning for why it is possible is just your description of the draft process. 
You watch these yeah, guys. It is. You, ha- you do watch them. I, it's not. It's not hard. I think teams overthink it and want to like go for a home run and take the big swing. That's a lot possible. of time. Which sometimes it's right. Sometimes yeah. like drafting Zaire Williams is like a thing that pays off. That was a that was an absolute dice roll, and it, it seems like that'll that's going to come out good for Memphis. But sometimes you're just like, oh, we're just going to draft the guy who was good in college, who will be good, like Chris Duarte. We're just going to go. Duarte was good at Oregon, and he comes in and does is the exact same thing. At Indiana, like it's it's just really it's not it's sometimes it's as simple as that. Finding finding what like your best player that's really difficult. That's that's you got to get lucky and you got to hit either at the top of the draft or you know a Jokic type, Giannis type like crazy luck coincidence. But other than that, you can find these guys. They're around. We've seen them. They're not mysteries. Big Barker is a long trusted sponsor of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. They are because, and the reason we partner with Big Barker is because it's a great product. Big Barker is the only real dog bed on the market. The only real dog bed proven by a study at PennVet to improve your dog's health, improve joint function, and uh, reduce pain severity, reduce joint stiffness, improvement in gait, improvement in quality of life, all proven by PennVet. Go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky, bigbarker.com slash Ricky. That's where you get your Big Barker dog bed with the process pup patches. You send us a photo of your dog on the bed and we put them in the process pup gallery. And when I say that process pup gallery, you should go look at that on our website because when you see the dogs laying on the bed, you see the difference in the bed. When you see, you know, you're scrolling through Instagram and you see these, all these dog beds, you see like, they look like these big plush, like sort of pillow looking things, but that's not what you want to sleep on. That's fine for a pillow. It's not fine for a mattress. You need support for your dog. And that's why Rebel sleeps on a big barker. Two separate big barkers in different parts of the house. Again, go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky. This thing, you know, arthritis, joints, it's really important in dogs just like it is in people, especially dogs over 50 pounds, up to 80% of them develop arthritis as they age. Um, I, I can't endorse them enough and super durable as proven by the uh, guarantee I'll I'll tell you about later. Um, And looks real nice too. It comes in all different colors with the headrest, without the headrest for all different sizes. 10-year warranty. The foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. One year at home trial. Try it for a full year. If you don't like it, if your dog doesn't like it, they'll give you full refund and they'll pay for shipping. And it's handmade in the USA. Big Barker Dog Beds. Woof, woof. Um, A quick note to uh, our... Listeners, Ben and Lee, along with um, Jane, they a, a very early uh, process pub, Libby, crossed the Rainbow Bridge and uh, left her family this week. And um, she was a she loved her big barker as well and was just a super loyal dog, was a rescue, which I love, of course. Um, she was named Liberty when she was adopted and um, they ended up calling her Libby. So we send love to Ben and Lee and Jane and we thank you and um and that's all i hope you have tons and tons of great memories of libya as i'm sure you do i would say that we kick off the mailbag is there anything else a couple people mentioned just sixers news wise a couple people mentioned the thing there was a story from Adrian Wojnarowski about Quinn Snyder and saying that that could be a possible landing spot for Doc Rivers. I don't remember the Danny Ainge Doc Rivers thing ending particularly well, though I suppose it's possible for him to go there. I just can't imagine Doc Rivers going to Utah for the twilight of his career. Need a uh, golf course correspondent to 
Let us know what it's like over there. What the golf is like in Utah. Got yeah. it. First thing first. Yeah. Uh, we have the names of the owners of restaurants that we could get to Doc and see if mm. he can familiarize himself with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, Quinn Snyder would be a really interesting, interesting choice. He's a visually a total psycho. Um, he does look which, like a psycho. Which is very fun. Um, I think he's a good coach. I think that Utah's limitations were more personnel-based than coaching-based, but I'm sure Utah fans would probably say that about the Sixers also. So um, I'd be intrigued. I don't know what what that would be like if they if it's a trade situation or a quit. I don't know. But um, he's a good coach for sure. Well, I think it would be more about... I don't think we would need to take Quinn Snyder in that situation, right? Maybe I mean, not. it's more just about getting Doc to Utah. So. Maybe. I, I like him, though. Um, I was thinking... I, I saw... You know, there was uh-huh. that report about the Phillies in the, um, uh, I forget, it might have been the uh, Inquirer of the Athletic, um, where it was like all the players kind of like looking around being like, Every, all of our family members are telling us that we don't look like we're having any fun. Oh, that was, yeah. yeah. And we're not really trying that hard. <laughs> and uh, we keep finding very colorful ways to lose. Um, and they're doing that right now. Uh, are they losing? They're yeah. up on nothing. Oh, okay. No, they're losing. Um and it's just like, and the the similarities between Joe Girardi and Doc Rivers are stunning, stunning levels. Joe but Girardi like, does not seem like he gives a shit no, at really all. Doesn't seem like yeah. he gives a shit at all. But the, I, I tend to think that this lands in the players. We both of us usually agree about like the role of a coach in professional mm-hmm. sports. Yeah, maybe football's different because yeah, fo- football players seem to like. They really, want to be coached. They, yeah, they seem to really give a fuck mm-hmm. about coaching, whereas baseball players and basketball players maybe don't as much. Um, maybe it's just like the the sort of culture around the sport or whatever. I don't know. Uh, there's more. It's more of like a disciplinary sport. It, that that part kind of is a weird part of football. But anyway, the I think about like how hard guys play is more of just like a that's what a player is. I don't think it would have mattered depending on you know who Pat Beverly's coach is or who Chase Utley's coach was like, they're going to play that way no matter what. But it is stark to watch what some, how some teams play, whether it's baseball or basketball and, and, and then look at the Phillies and see how like lackadaisical and sluggish and, and dumb that they play and how, and look at the, the, the way the Sixers played, like not getting after loose balls, not going after every rebound. And then you're looking at like, the way that Miami and Boston went down the wire and they, you know, the we should talk about the, the Boston game, but just, I do wonder like how much of that is coaching, how much of that is like, I respect the coach that's telling me what to do. Ime Udoka recently played in the NBA, like instilled that in them. They were receptive to it eventually. Like, how much does it matter? I don't know. I, really, Udoka, I really don't know. Ime Udoka recently also coach, was a coach with the Sixers. Sure. Yeah. Him, and, him like, and then Monty Williams before that. Yeah. Just getting to the, Getting to the finals, yep. not with the Sixers. No biggie. I but, think coaching has something to do with it. I, I think a lot of it is, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Confirmation bias. Like when a team wins, they have those traits, you know? But I, I think it's- You mean as far as how they're covered or or what they what what they then no, are I, willing to do on the floor? I think the teams that are willing to do that on the floor typically win a lot. So it- so it's sort of like a chicken and the egg thing, right? Like if the Sixers, I, I, I don't know, like, like 
the better teams do that, right? I, I yeah, I, but the Sixers I, were the number one seed in the East last year, and they I, were let me, there this year. Let me throw this out there. Okay, so the Sixers. I mean, Tobias Harris prior to Doc Rivers was not a loose ball guy, right? Never been a loose ball guy. James Harden, not a loose ball guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel Embiid, a loose ball guy, but certainly prone to fits of mopiness pre pre Doc Rivers as well. Yeah, and plays hard, but relies, I think, more especially on like on just his intelligence rather than he's going to like out jump somebody or right. like out physicality somebody, especially on those kinds of things. He does it on the offensive end, but not not quite as much like when it's just like a ball in the air type thing. I sort of think the Sixers are just made up of players yeah. who are not that. No, know? I don't. I don't disagree. And I don't disagree. I, I do think a certain kind of coach can inspire that sort of thing, but I, I also think it's like more about playing for each other and the sort of like the the culture of picking up where another player is needs to be picked up or sort of covering for that person. I think that part of it comes from coaching, but maybe a little bit less of the hey everybody you know try like the 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 coaching that we see in in timeouts on tv i think that's probably sure, sure. less of it you Those know are all very valid i think i i look at like a guy like george niang who i think is is a guy that will get in the muck and and be physical and and you know dive for a ball those kinds of things which joel is also and maxi is also but it's i do think it is primarily what we've said all years that the the way that daryl built this team with whatever excuse he has it, it's just like a collection of guys who are not that strong not that fast not that athletic Mm-hmm. And and uh, the popular term, they don't just don't have that dog in them. So <laughs> that is, you know, that will be a focus going into draft coverage of finding finding yeah, guys who have who have th- that dog in them. So it we'll means see. I have to start watching YouTube. I was you do. I, yeah. I, do you want me to give you a couple? We always do this thing where I'll say guys, and you're like, I haven't looked at them. Do you want me to like give you mine ahead of time? Yes, so that you can have a couple. Yes, I'll give so you an area. Have... It'll be like a loose, like here's who I'm thinking, and then I'll and then I'll arrange them in that way. But there, I'll give you a couple that you should uh, you should watch so, you, so you're familiar. Yeah, I, I do my best, but some of the the guys you have, I just don't have takes on. So mm-hmm. the uh, hard to stomach YouTube comment of the week kicks off our made up trade stuff. This comes from Nice and Flowy MMA. Mm. Toby and Shake for Laurie Markinen, Isaac Okoro, and Chetty Osman. Laurie has a better Laurie is a better shooter and uh, rebounder and has more size than Toby. The only issue I have is he misses a lot of games. Okoro is a raw athlete, but would help with uh, an athletic deficit. Chetty would be a decent wing shooter off the bench. I I just can't figure out why the Cavs would do this. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that Tobias is the best player in that trade, um, and they would have an and Shake is a nice sort of. The same thing that he is here is a bench guard um, to back up the the starter. He's more of a him and Garland are more s- similar change of pace vibe than Maxie's more of just a straight line guy for now. Um, it's interesting. Markin had a good year last year, but has been disappointing prior to that. Okoro mm-hmm. is similar to Matisse in that he plays hard defensively. He's Okoro is more physical than Matisse. He's a better ball handler than Matisse, but he also can't shoot right now. Um, and arguably is he the kind of like Avery Bradley type defender where he looks like he's playing good defense, but actually isn't in that sense, like a lot of, a lot of action, but he hasn't quite translated as much, but (coughs) I do believe in him eventually getting there. And Chetty is like a really weird player in that he, 
has stretches where he's playing, he like plays really well and then seems to be like getting like three minutes a game sometimes. Yeah. And so I, I assume that that is, you know, you don't know unless you're really watching a ton of him, but from what I've seen, it seems mostly defensively. He's pretty big, big body. He can shoot. He can make a couple things happen. He's a solid player. I wouldn't mind. He'd definitely be an improvement on on the bench this season. But um, I think it would be a fine trade. I think it's a fine trade. But I think that Tobias, I don't. Cleveland might not do it just because the thing with Laurie is that even though he's big and they play big with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, like Laurie shoots right away off the catch and yep. Tobias is going to, will, you know, at least tighten the floor a little bit, even if he is the guy that he was the past like month or two with the Sixers. So I think Laurie's probably a better fit, even if Tobias is maybe the better player overall. Um, it's an interesting trade. It's interesting. The Lorenzo Brown mailbag writes to Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. Send us one basketball, one non-basketball question. This comes from Deal. Really disappointed to hear these Thibault trade rumors. Did everybody forget that he was shooting 40% from three after the Harden trade? That shows he has potential. Why do you trade him at his lowest value after the COVID situation? I say you keep him. If he becomes a three and D guy, he could be a key piece for our rotation for years to come. I don't want to see Thibault guard one of our guys because we gave up on him too soon. No, I mean, I, I, that's, that's a totally fair thought. He is absolutely at the lowest point of his value since he was like a sophomore in college. Um, and Daryl doesn't often trade those guys when they're at the lowest point of their value aside from... I guess Ben, who he got the guy he wanted to anyway. Who was also the, maybe the lowest point of his value. Yeah, that's what I was saying. No, I mean Harden. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the with Matisse, it's like, it's not just that, you know, it's it's a volume thing. Like the yeah. the volume of shots that he takes, he is uncomfortable taking them. I think he, and have been calling for him to be empowered to take as many of those you saw grant williams in the second round i believe Mm -hmm. of the playoffs when he took like 17 threes grant williams missed like the first like 20 some shots three pointers of his career he was like up and down over the season but like you just got to keep shooting and you shoot your way into like feeling comfortable with it um difference is grant williams is a much smarter offensive player a much more capable offensive player and has better touch than matisse does and always did from the mid-range especially and it's just taken him some time to like you know, uh, build out his range a little bit, but you need Matisse to be that kind of player where he can take those shots so that if he makes two in a row in the playoffs, then all of a sudden they do have to cover him. But if he makes one, they're still not going to, if he's still, if he's still like hesitant to do it, then they're not going to, he, he still treats it like a safety valve and like a last, you know, basically last case scenario, um, of the, and so the players on the team, so it's like whether you're shooting 30% or 39% from three, that's like the difference of like two makes for yeah. over like a playoff series. It's just not that much of a difference. So he just needs to become more confident as a shooter overall and and develop like some dribble drive game, some like cutting game. The fact that like he's had to, like he could go to, you know, say, I mean, Golden State for one um, or like Minnesota or something with like, where this floor is spread and he can go just be like cut guy where they're throwing him like, you know, high post passes underneath and throwing him lobs and stuff where he can't do that the way that like Gary Payton the second is used. Although he's obviously again, a better ball handler than Matisse, but he, there's places where he could be more helpful 
uh, than, than Philadelphia, but I understand that it's it's right now it's trading him at the lowest point of his value. So um, you may and they need him with Danny out. So it's just not it's, <laughs> they're not in a good spot. Well, the 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 point you made about his shooting is you could probably find a a lot of not a lot but a few fifteen game stretches during his career where he shot forty percent from three. totally. Like There's been it, stretches, you know, yeah. and this is a, something that AU falls for constantly. Like is when he goes two two of three from three for one game, he he'll go. I don't know if this is a trend or not. And I'll be like, hey, hey, it's two of three during one game is not a trend. Uh, non basketball question, Spike, Mike, too, if you want. I have a whippet stumbled stumbled into my life, and I love my dog. A whippet is a kind of dog. Looks sort of like a smaller greyhound. What are your favorite other animals? Long term, I want a couple chickens, ducks. Maybe a sheep on the farm. I'll probably be lazy and keep reusing this one. You have any other favorite animals? Uh, not as pets so much. Although there has been one or two cats that I've liked very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a goat, but not as a pet. Mm-hmm. I like a horse. Mm-hmm. Nothing against a horse. I uh, I loved. My cat, and I love cats, uh, rest in peace, Alabama, um, mentioned chickens. Craig Carton, who I work with, has now has seven chickens to lay eggs. I do not want any chickens. It goes fine. I'm really a cat and dog guy. I'm less of an animal guy, even though I'm a vegan and more of a pet guy for me personally, for my life. I like the classic pets and don't like reptiles personally at all. Not a reptile guy. Like uh, like one Robert Covington. This comes from the other thing. Just sorry about yeah. the finishing Matisse. Like he also, yeah. as we've said, like he just needs to be a better defender. Like he he has not been as much of a lockdown defender as his reputation has suggested. The fact that he finished second team all defense, like it's just it's just wrong. Like he should not have done that. No, he is if you're you're like part of defense is being able to like stay on the floor. And I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna get baited into an availability uh, argument here. But like, I'm not doing it. He's I not, agree with you. He his offense wasn't good enough to stay on the floor, and his defense wasn't good enough to make up for his offense. No. And so he's just got to improve that. He's got to become. I understand going into this offseason, going like we're not gonna, just going to trade Matisse just to trade Matisse, especially with Danny Hurt. But he's got to get a lot better at every single aspect of basketball. And he didn't get drafted when he was young. He played four years at Washington. Like. It's just they're, they're, you're sort of running out of time, and I am as I'm as scared as other people of the idea of him figuring it out on another team, and they're just being like, "Why did they trade him? Why didn't it work out here?" But like, it's on him to to improve and actually put the work in and stop vlogging. And he yeah, and he put four, he played four years of college and three years in the pros now. Like like you know, there's there's a lot of it's time. You know, yeah, now or never. Um, I also think Shake. We, going back to Shake, I do think Shake has a. People keep saying this. He had a tough year injury-wise. He had COVID. He had, he had he was coming hot after training camp and had like an ankle thing. I think if that's what if I'm remembering correctly. Um, he hasn't looked right in like three years. But now. he's had he's had flashes. He's had moments. Yeah. I think like Shake to me. If if Harden stays, Shake is really like a very nice third guard that was perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine with him being the eighth guy on this on this roster. They just need other more like fast and athletic guys to sort of supplement because you can't just have it's the whole problem it's been all of them Korkmaz and Shake and Matisse who can't do much and Danny who can't move anymore like we need more infusion 
otherwise everybody looks worse. So this comes from Josh. Then we'll get to our guest who will who will either accept or deny our support for the NBA Finals. This comes from Josh. This is just an unhinged email, and I feel like he needs our help. He says in the subject line, tell AU that oysters are fucking gross. I actually second that. So, hello, uh, my fellow sufferer. My name, I'm gonna, even though he puts his full name in this, I'm not going to put that. read that. My name is Josh. I lived in Kennett Square for about 10 years, where I was lucky enough to have parents that funded my obsession with basketball with Sixers season tickets and Sixers summer camp. I've been listening to the show for a while now. I haven't listened since the Toronto series, really because I'm just a depressed human being. I'm just kind of here to vent and maybe ask a question, tell a story. Who knows? My wife is divorcing me. We have been married for a year on June 19th. COVID lasted longer than my marriage. Pretty wild, eh? Anywho, we're having a baby boy on July 17th. I'm pretty excited, scared, and nervous at the same time. My current wife, future ex-wife, has this whole outfit planned out for our son once he gets here. I want a different outfit with my own photos, something Sixers related that only somebody who knows basketball would understand. Everything online looks like it was printed by Martha on her circuit and the Sixers store. Well, it just sucks ass. They give no fucks about baby apparel. This is where you come in. Spike and Mike help a man out with some cool RTRS onesie gear so I can deck my baby out when he's fresh out of the oven. Tough. <laughs> Tough collection of words there. <laughs> I'm going to get this made for him. We don't do one-offs, but I'm doing a one-off for him. Right? I mean, right. yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's a baby pal for sure. So here's, we'll get to the second part of the email, the non-basketball question. Like I mentioned earlier, my parents were very stupid and nice and bought season tickets as a birthday present for me for multiple years. Don't worry, listeners, 207 hit and my parents went flat broke and I didn't see a birthday present again for a long time. I'm not a spoiled brat. Being a season ticket holder, I remember you could come to shoot around and usually get players autographs, take pictures. Hell, we even toured the locker room. I was able to stick my hand in Keith Van Horn's shoe. It was the size of my arm. Like, what the fuck? Billy King was GM at the time, so while shoot-around was going on, he would come out and say hey, say hey to the people and talk. He gave some pep talk about being a player, and I could be one if I tried. I'm 5'9". I had no chance. My mom was pretty smoking hot blonde at the time. Five minutes go by with me just staring at Eric Snow down, begging him to score at least 10 points that game, and an usher came up to us and gave my mom an envelope, followed by, this is a gift from Billy King. After opening the envelope, to my surprise, he gave us courtside tickets to the game. I'm a kid freaking the fuck out. Like, wow. Recently, I tweeted him and thanked him for this kind gesture and how much it meant to me as a kid. I know that motherfucker saw it and he didn't even like the post or say anything. As I thought deeper about it, maybe he didn't even do it for me. The kid, maybe he was just trying to fuck my mom. Mm. <laughs> what do you think? TLDR, send me some baby onesies. And Billy King uh, tried fucking my mom. I want whatever <laughs> result this guy wants. I, that my answer is whatever he thinks, whatever he wants it to be. If it if it's yes that Billy King was into it, then great, I'm on board. If not, yeah, I don't think I, then I don't think it happened. Yeah, that is a that is tough. I am watching. Uh, I finished. I know you get very excited when I talk about this, but I finished Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and mm. moved on to Real Housewives of Potomac, mm. which I believe I mentioned before has. Uh, if you remember former Maryland basketball player Juan Dixon. Yes, I do. Yep. Uh, his 
at the time, at the beginning of the show, ex-wife, him and his ex-wife are together on it. So Juan Dixon is on the show, which is cool. And former Sixers head coach Eddie Jordan's wow. wife is on the show for wow. season one. And so they talk about Eddie Jordan a lot. And at this point, he's a coach of Rutgers. And, uh, and then over the course of the first season, they get... They start the process of divorcing. <laughs> and it's like she's very upset. Eddie's not in the show. At least I haven't seen him yet. Um, and uh, he doesn't seem like he was a good husband. <laughs> it just seems like they're just like <laughs> Eddie not defending himself. I was like, well, he wasn't a good coach either. So, no, not at really all. any level. Uh, so, you know, tough, what? tough hit. But uh, it's good to, it's good, even when you're trying to relax, unwind with some housewives, the Sixers just keep, keep coming back at you. You know, I work with Tiki Barber, whose wife was on a housewife show. Oh really? It was just on, like just recently was on a house a Real Housewives show. Okay, Some I haven't, got, I haven't gotten that, yeah. but we'll get there. Um, we will get into the NBA Finals momentarily. The odds at DraftKings Sportsbook: the Warriors are a minus one fifty favorite, Celtics at plus one thirty. The, the Warriors also plus four hundred favorite to win the title next year, followed by the Nets at plus five hundred. The only place to bet on the NBA Finals is. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers right now make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Oh, yeah. And also same-game parlays. We're not doing our special same-game parlays because the Sixers have been out of it for like fucking six weeks already. But you can make your own same-game parlay. Um, This NBA season, one person um, placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over five grand. That's what you do. You just keep adding legs. Odds get longer. Payouts get up higher. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code RTRS to make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. It's promo code RTRS only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So we have the Warriors versus the Celtics. And we bring on from the Light Years podcast, one Sam Esfendiari, who I believe is like the, the the connecting piece between the Ricky and Sam, I believe is Andrew Sharp. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> we both uh we both love to roast Sharp on how terrible the wizards are. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't discussed this with Mike, though I, I am sure he is with me. I believe that given that this the NBA Finals matchup, we, we don't often have a rooting interest, but given the NBA Finals matchup, we would like to throw all of our support to the Warriors and the Light Years community to win the Finals, and we're wondering if you will accept the support of the Ricky community in these NBA Finals. We, will, would, of co- we will, of course, accept it because I'm, I'm a fan <laughs> of just how uh, angry... Your fan base gets over its own team. It brings me back to see with the Warriors. There's I feel like there's two two fan groups. There's those of us who were used to them being god awful before Steph Curry. And then there is like the spawns of Satan who turned up after the Warriors turned into a super team. And I I just tend to align myself with the people who are used to negativity happening. Uh, mm. Therefore, you know, a natural fit for me. Mm. All right, a dicey call, I would say. <laughs> also, are you watching the Giants beat the Phillies? Behind I am. You? There's a TV behind I me, so am I have to watching, watch the Phillies yeah. blow it again. If it makes you feel better, I'm 
not a Giants fan. I'm an Oakland A's fan, but it's okay. the only thing on right now. So you sure. passively have my support. Although it, you could it, say I thought it was a James. pretty aggressive move to be like, and here's another team of yours that sucks. <laughs> well, are they losing right now? They were winning a minute ago. No, no, oh. no, no. Well, I apologize uh, for that. So the Warriors obviously are at this point, this generation, this era of Warriors are, are one of the most uh, iconic. D- consequential teams of all time and by the way the phillies are up just so you're oh they are up. they came back yeah. to okay it was down it was five two for give it time okay wow it's look six, at this it's wow. six five the blow is great yeah i just want to know what is it like <laughs> <laughs> what, is it, what is it like rooting for a team who is not only good but really good and really good for a prolonged period of time and also like special in a way that changes basketball. It's like, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches. And I want to know how you can live with yourself. (laughs) I will say I have like a special affinity for this specific core group. Like I, I, it it dawned on me earlier this year when, you know, whenever Steph, Clay, Draymond, those guys retire and go off, like I'll like the team. I will pay attention to them, but I will not have like an emotional attachment or like the same kind of reverence because it's that group. The only thing in in various sports history, which is probably comparable, is like the 80s 49ers. And I was born in the 80s, so I don't remember any of that. You know what I mean? Um, They are obviously iconic in basketball history, but they're also the most relevant Bay Area sports team of my lifetime. Um, if you go, you know, obviously the Warriors were awful before this, but you know, look at all the teams in the Bay area. Most of them have been from 2010 prior. They were pretty much bad for 20 years. And that's pretty much all I've been conditioned to see, um, in this area. Like it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not, uh, it's not like the Cubs with like a hundred and whatever year, no title streak, but it's like, they weren't particularly good at anything. The biggest deal warrior wise was we believe for most of my life. So yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Is it like how, cause I, you know, I think, I think this happened with like Boston, New England in that they were like a sad region of sports until they like super weren't. And that's frustrating. Um, I do, I do think there are Bay area Boston similarities with the way that the fan bases conduct themselves. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lie on that one. There's um, and I think it has to do with in context of like, they both, the biggest city on, on the East coast is New York. The biggest city on the West coast is LA. Um, both Boston and San Francisco like to consider themselves the more, uh, the more sophisticated city or like the more, um, they have to consider themselves both on that level while also having kind of a provincial mindset about mm-hmm. it where they're also like the little guy. Like they love to play like they're the little guy when they're not really the little guy. Right. Um, so I do think there's a little bit of a similarity between those two. Because I just want to know like if the six, if uh, any Philadelphia team has like such ridiculous historical success in a short amount of time, like will I change as a person? Will I fundamentally, will it yes. alter me? In yes. a way that, okay. I I look forward to and it. It's, and it's, uh, I, I think it's it's different than like them winning. Like the Eagles won a Super Bowl, what, like four years ago? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Something like that. Yep. Um, it, I don't know. Time is a weird construct post-pandemic for me. Mm-hmm. So um, 
that's cool, but it's like the the prolonged success thing breeds yeah. a level of fan who just thinks inevitably the breaks are going to go your way and you're going to win at the end. Like I was, uh, I was talking with a, a friend of mine. Um, uh, I'm 37. Um, so I've seen most of these teams suck. People who are 21, 22 in the Bay area have watched the giants win three world series. The warriors do their thing. And the 49ers are the bad team of the bunch having gone to two super bowls and been to like five or six champions ship games all in one decade. So like you have this like group of like 18 to 25 year olds who just think like by virtue of being in this region who they, things are just going to work out in their favor. Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, I would, I mean, I would have to imagine of this run of, of teams, them winning the title this year, would have to hold like a special place. Like like yeah, from yeah. from a distance, and this has been talked about a lot, the Durant ones felt weird and a little bit like less fulfilling. But to to be bad, like have the worst record in the league, and then last year for it to end the way it was, and it looked like it was just sort of this unraveling, to come back and be the, not just be in the finals, but be the favorite for the finals has to feel like redeeming and fun in a way that you haven't experienced in a while. Especially since the first title happened so fast. Like they weren't, if you remember, LeBron goes back to Cleveland and um, I believe Vegas had like, it was either going to, it was, you know, uh, Cleveland, Oklahoma City with Durant and Westbrook, the Spurs, like those were the perennial favorite, the Clippers. Everyone thought like the Clippers were the next team up, the Lob City Clippers. And the Warriors were just kind of like, you know, they were a six seed. They were, they were fine. They were like the Utah Jazz are right now where you're like, they're fine, but we don't take them seriously. And then they just they skipped a few steps and immediately won a title. So in some ways, I would say like the first one was just like it was an exciting high because it came out of nowhere. It wasn't the normal championship path. Like I'll put it this way. If Philly, if the 76ers end up winning a title next year, um, given or in two years, given like how many years it's been just kind of like get to the second round, get here and kind of this happen, and mm-hmm. then finally break through, you know? Uh, it feels a certain way because you feel like you've been contending for like six, seven years in a row, right? The the 15 Warriors, I don't think anyone thought of them as contenders. They just, they kind of skipped a step. Yeah. Do you well, think about that in, in a weird sense? Like they're, they're the, the like, um, the way people talk about it, of being like, and then an assistant coach had the idea to bench David Lee, Draymond <laughs> Green, and like, what a, a a nuanced and incredible, thoughtful take. And it's just like you don't think about that with any other team. You're not like someone had the idea to start Scottie Pippen. You're not thinking about that, and really anything. It's it's it is what looking back on it, an obvious move to play the best defender in the league and one of the best defenders of, of all time. Um, how do you look back at that now? And especially since like David Lee is the, the archetype of his kind of player has been so deeply phased out by the league. Ironically, by the Warriors. Of the, Warriors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Warriors basically created the, you know, the high pick and roll to make that guy just unplayable. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, it's funny watching because it's like it's true. Like victors get to write history. And the Warriors winning things, they get to, like, create the narrative about the way it happened. 
Um, when like the reality is David Lee got hurt in training camp. He was going to start. Um, Draymond Green ended up starting and he played so well in that first 20 games that I think they started 17 and three or something ridiculous like that. Like it was like, um, I don't, you know, it, it was one of those, like, I don't really know what this is, but I know this is too good to like, just bench it on the fly. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of how it happened. And that's kind of like, you know, but, but it doesn't get written that way. The way it gets written is like the, you know, it's a master stroke. We're going to bring him off the bench, get Draymond in here. We, we got this guy, he's going to change the game defensively. And next thing you know, so it's kind of funny. Cause I mean, it, but isn't that the way it's been with all sports throughout history? Like whoever ends up winning, they get to write their own fan fiction on how they got there. Sure. sure. Um, Sam, you're gonna have to sit there as we talk about our sponsor. Um, go for it. LL Pavorsky. Are you, you're married? Are you married? You mentioned you have a child. So, uh, we have a sponsor, LL Pavorsky Jewelers, who wants to go back in time and get you, uh, an engagement ring from LL rather than wherever you got it, because he has sold, uh, hundreds over 260 engagement rings to rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners. Uh, we got this email earlier. Is that a serious stat? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's stunning. I gotta go look at I gotta go look at my own sponsors and see if I've sold 260 items of anything to anyone. Yeah, he is the first sponsor, and, and not just 260 items, but like fucking engagement rings. They're not cheap. He no, underpays. It's not he a t-shirt. Yeah, all of our listeners fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We got this email from Justin and Kim. Always love listening to the pod. Just wanted to reach out to see if you could give a quick shout out to Brian and Ellie for getting engaged yesterday. Brian is a big Ricky fan and obviously went to LL for the engagement ring. Thanks for keeping Sixers fandom entertaining. So congratulations to Brian and Ellie. Um, of course, I, I mentioned LL being the first sponsor of the Ricky. He treats all of our listeners like, like gold or platinum. Mm -hmm. um, when you go into... A jewelry store, a lot of times it can be stressful. Like sterling in the, silver. Sterling silver, right. Anything else? Other various precious. Rose stuff. gold. Mm. Um, you go into any, a jewelry store, they're, they're all over you. Salespeople all over you. Not at LL Pavorsky Jewelers. He wants you to make an appointment so he can talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. You walk in there, it's really just LL, maybe Jeffrey, his security guy, maybe one other salesperson. You're dealing with LL, the guy who has his name on the sign, been there for over 30 years. If you want to buy an engagement ring from Lee, make an appointment. Reach out to him. Lee at LLPavorsky.com. 215-627-2252 is the phone number. Tweet at him, at LL Pavorsky. You will not be disappointed. You'll even go back in time if you made a mistake and got an engagement ring from somebody else. LL always supports their charities, Providence Animal Center, encoded by kids. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Amos asked to see Alyssa's ring last night, and he was oh, impressed. I, oh, did he really? He did, and she showed it to him, and he was impressed. Wow. So thank you, LL. Sam. I only know of Warriors fandom through you. My my Twitter feed does not like you've curated properly. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Why does it seem though, like you guys are always fucking complaining about Steve Kurt? Don't you know how it could be? <laughs> it just seems like I'm gonna paint you a picture here. Okay. okay. You your team wins a title. Yep. They proceed I don't, wait, to hang have. On. <laughs> <laughs> they proceed to have the greatest regular season of all time. Uh-huh. And then you get to the finals and in game 7 
He plays Anderson Verjao and Festus Azili for no goddamn reason. You were up six points with four minutes left at the end of the fourth quarter. He subs in the worst players in the series. They immediately foul LeBron twice. And next thing you know, they lose that game. It's really that simple. It's I think he's actually done a phenomenal job this season. This is arguably his best coaching. But for a certain segment of the fan base, they just cannot let that go. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. I egg it on. No. <laughs> like, I definitely had a hard time letting that go for a while, too, because it was it was such an egregious in such a high stakes moment. You know, it's like it, it, that one. I, I really think it's as simple as it's it's most people can't pinpoint coaching mistakes because it's, they just do so many like subtle, small things that you don't really know why they do certain mm-hmm. things. But that one was just so high profile that it, it, it lived with a certain segment of the fan base. What, what was the logic behind it? The logic behind it was they were tired and they weren't getting rebounds. So instead mm-hmm. of staying small, he put the only bigs he had who were healthy. Yeah. Of course, it's game seven. Andrew Bogut was already injured. And I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'd rather lose with my best players okay. in a game seven than like needlessly overcoach it, thinking like a big man's going to help seal a rebound here or there. Well, there's there's nothing coaches hate worse than giving up offensive rebounds. Yes. Um, which the Sixers did extremely well this year. Gave them up, gave them up for everybody. Anybody who wanted them could get, could have them. And by the way, cost the Spurs a title, like basically, you know, like that that Miami offensive rebound um, ended up costing the the Spurs a title for as sure. well. But it is it is so strange. It is so strange that even a guy like Steve Kerr, like it's now celebrated that like playing Kevon Looney this this playoffs because of uh, Stephen Adams coming back into the rotation is like what a masterstroke because. Kevon Looney's been good, but it's again a, the same kind of thing of like, well, he he kind of makes us not be able to do all the things that we can do. Makes us less dynamic on offense type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but he has been good enough to sort of get over that. But the kind of archetype player that he is is not that much. I think coaches just hate giving up offensive rebounds and and I, are even even like a an innovative team like the Warriors, like Steve Kerr, uh, with those guys around him, like still like falls back on the same. Doc Riversy style tropes of like, well, we have to have a big man in there because big men are tall and big men get to do those things, even as like DeAndre Jordan gets busted in the pick and roll. All this. I just also think every fan base hates their coach. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just like tears of hatred. Like, do you like, do you actually hate him to the point where there's nothing he could do to ever get a compliment at you? Or do you just get annoyed with certain decisions? Yeah. So, so I'm, uh, you know, the, the, the Warriors are the, the betting favorite in this at minus 150 at DraftKings Sportsbook. But I saw ESPN has their computer as the, the Celtics with an 86% chance of winning this title. I've seen Warriors media. You know, we have a radio station out there. Um, so I, I, I do see some of them. And I, I've seen them say, hey, this, this, you know, this, uh, this series is going to be tough though I don't necessarily believe that anyone who cheers for the Warriors thinks that they're going to lose this series. No, of course not. Yeah. Like, for me, it's really hard to defense your way to a title, right? Like, you you need a good defense, but, like, your your signature 
can't be your defense because at the end of the day, you have to be able to score. And I just like, I can't wrap my head around at the end of games, trusting the Celtics over the Warriors. Like I, I think this would be over in five or six games, honestly. Like where do you, where do you see it? And do you have any explanation for the ESPN computer? So the explanation I heard is those projections are going off of like what they've played minutes wise in the past. And I don't know why you would build out a projection that shows like Damian Lee playing 17 minutes a game in the finals. Right. Like, obviously that's going to skew in Boston's favor. If your model says Tatum's playing 44 minutes and Steph's playing 33 minutes, those 11 minutes are probably going in Boston's favor. And that's going to make them the favorite by your model. Um, I do think, so I could see a world in which it's over in five. I could see a world in which there's close games and Boston has no idea how to close a close game. Mm-hmm. And then the Warriors just win that way. I could also see it going six to seven just because both these teams love to turn the ball over. Yeah. It's pretty, it's like, it's like it, they have, they, they, they really have a fetish for it. I, and it's like, it's not just like, okay, it's a bad pass. It's like, I don't understand what you saw when you thought that was the pass to make type of stuff. Um, and in general, Boston does have the type of personnel, which has always mucked up the Warriors kind of motion, beautiful game offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if it went longer. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I am with you where I just have a very hard time seeing Boston winning four times. They, they could. They were like a minute away from blowing it against Miami in games. Well, I mean, less than a minute. Less than that a minute. was wild. That was, that was an embarrassing. <laughs> yeah level of basketball iq from from a smart team generally yeah. of just like taking needless shots and almost giving the game away that would have been that would have been a real delight for me <laughs> to watch to, if boston had blown that I would who do you guys can i ask that. you guys a question who sure. do you guys dislike more miami or boston definitely boston. boston i dislike both of them very much um i do love jimmy butler and i don't think that Sixers fans. Oh, you guys, you guys hate you guys hate your uh, your management more for we hate ourselves. For yeah, why not? Yes. Um, now, what I would say though, while as a team, as an organization, I hate the Celtics more. I like more Celtics players than I like Heat players. If if they were right. if if you if don't we, want Max Struess on the Sixers, I would take Max. Struess well, I would take Max Struess, sure. but I mean, <laughs> like you know, like uh, Marcus Smart is awesome. Um, Jalen Brown is awesome. Uh, we're talking about Grant Williams earlier. He's awesome. Robert Williams is awesome. Like Derek White. Derek White is a, a Mike player right. through and through, you know? So there are a bunch of players and Emo Doka, former Sixer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, but like the Boston as a general concept, I think we were sort of like born to hate. Oh, yeah. Where does, where does Philly rank on the uh, sports cities that hate the Celtics West? Hi. Because something, let me give you this context. Like, okay, one thing that Warrior fans online love to do is like pretend like nobody is rooting for them. Um, this is not, and, and it's true when when you have a, a great team, there's a certain amount of people who hate you. But Boston has a lot of teams who hate them for historic reasons that go yeah. back way before Steph Curry ever existed. Um, and I was trying to make that case where I was like, all right, everyone knows about the Laker Celtic rivalry, but it's like, I think every city on the East coast has a rivalry with the Celtics on some level. 
Yeah, I think the Knicks would think that they do, but they haven't had too many like playoff showdowns, whereas the 80s yeah. were just riddled with Sixers, Celtics. I grew up just like knowing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sixers being like too often the third team in like a Celtics, Lakers, you know, going back and forth <laughs> right. type dynasties. Um, and then the Celtics have just like totally punked the Sixers in many ways over the last seven, eight years. Um, although the fact that Al Horford makes the finals does raise his contract for next season. Thank you, Elton Brand, for signing him to that contract. <laughs> and, and if they do win the finals, they win the championship, then his contract goes up even more. So that is a small carrot. But if they win the finals, that will that will change me in a way that I I'm not prepared for. I don't I I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be that person. I don't want to live in that world. The Warriors to me are I get I get frustrated by the Warriors sometimes. I mean, I love watching them play, but I have a, I have like this sort of disease in me where I just want like the little guy. I want someone to just like shoulder check the little guy. So they go, so he goes flying into like the 18th row Mm -hmm. and just like I, the, when you're rooting for the other team, which I have sometimes against the Warriors, like it's so frustrating to watch them to play against them because they're so good and so fast and so smart and, and you're, and you're cutting things off and you cut like 90% of them off and all of a sudden Draymond dribble handoff and he's just like at the rim, like very easily. And so it's an incredibly frustrating thing. So watching Steph do his thing to me, especially is I, I just want someone to like just vault him out of the stadium. Um, but other than that, uh, I felt that way about like Isaiah Thomas and stuff too. It's the same, similar to Trey Young, same, same thing. I just want, I want little guys to get fucking, you know, you know, shouldn't be here. Guess you know, you should be allowed to get. You know, some punishment should happen. Last thing, I I've said on the pod that I I think Steph Curry is underrated historically. Like I I think, you know, Perkins was talking about him passing Magic. I like I could very easily make an argument for Steph Curry being a top or five seven play five or seven player of all time. And I think the frustrating thing for me. People say that the NBA Finals MVP doesn't matter. It does matter. The fact is, is that he just should have won the Iguodala one, and he should have that one. And like winning an NBA Finals MVP, if you win four titles and you're the best player on the team, you should you should win one of the fucking MVPs. Um, but I I think he he probably got robbed of one, even though I love that Iguodala one. Where, where do you see him historically, uh, Curry? I mean, he's the best player in NBA history under 6'6". Every player who you would could make a case for being better than him are 6'6 or taller. It's like, well, okay, he's not as good as Michael Jordan. He's not as good as LeBron James. He's not as good as, like, Kareem, Shaq, like, so, you know, some of these guys, and they're all massive. So where does that put him all time? I mean, I think he has a case for top 10, particularly if they win, because I don't think this will be – the end of this team's run. I think they're going to have a chance the next two to three years with the roster that they have. And the even if they like decide to actually pull the trigger and trade someone like they're in a position that they should be competing for the West for the next three years. So let's say they win two more, you know, let's say they end up with five and we have this, like, you know, he won the one, then he had the two KD years and then they fell down and then they won again. I mean, now you're talking about a decade of this guy being kind of in the mix every year. And that's kind of why I think he is this generation's Magic Johnson. Like, that's kind of the most appropriate comp for him just because, 
look, Magic played with another top five all-time player. He played with consistently like all-star casts. Um, but anyone who watched those teams understood like Showtime, the entire style, everything that made that team unique was because of him. It wasn't because of Kareem Skyhook or like, you know, um, James Worthy penchant for big games or whatever it may be. Um, if the Warriors end up, you know, going to, let's say, nine finals and let's say they win four or five of them or something like that, like that's and it, and Steph's at the center of it. And like, yes, Clay will probably have been there the entire time and same with Draymond. But it's like you have KD sometimes you have Andrew Wiggins other times, all this stuff like it, he ends up having a Magic Johnson-esque case where the farther away you get from it, the more it becomes about like he led the team the entire way. And we, we forget about, cause like, can, can you tell me right now how many finals MVPs Magic Johnson has, which ones he wanted in, which ones he didn't? Yeah, no, I would guess he has two, but I have no idea. And I wouldn't remember which ones he has it in. So, um, and, and by the way, like the KD thing, like this is, I, I do this sort of logic all the time and I know it's frustrating for people, but like you take Durant off and in his exact place, you put Harrison Barnes and they won a title. And in his exact place, you put Andrew Wiggins and theoretically they win a title. The Wiggins, the Wiggins one's kind of a heat check if you think about it. Yeah, like it, it Universally really regarded as like the worst big contract in the NBA. Who would want this guy? And then like a year and a half later, he, you know, he, he looks excellent. Like, honestly, I thought they were going to end up, I thought they were going to trade him. I thought like the entire genius behind it was like, all right, we're going to make him look good. And then we're going to, you know, we're going to find a sucker. We're going to turn to Sacramento or something like that. But it's gone to a point where, like, I think they might keep him around for a while because he's kind of good for them. Yeah, I mean, the lesson is, like, Andrew Wiggins as your best or second best player is not going to work. You have to be so good to be a top two or three player on a contending team to be that efficient. And he had to rework his game to be a role player. And so he's not he's not the number one pick. Like he's not the guy that you build a team around. He's just like, Oh, I'm super athletic and I'm willing to like defend Play my defense. ass off for this yeah. team. And I can move off ball with, with these like iconic shooters that like, if you put them around people that aren't Steph Curry and, and Draymond and, and clay, then like he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't be as good, but he's accepted his role and that's huge. And that's hopefully what like Tobias will, will do. But you know, whatever. that's, that's, that's a funny thing. It's like, no matter how well Wiggins plays, there's he, every other team still looking. I was like, but would he do that for us? Yeah. Mm, you yeah, know. yeah, for sure. And <laughs> that's, and that's the benefit of the, of this Warriors team is that like so yeah. many guys we were talking earlier about like Matisse on this team, Matisse on the Sixers is, is just not that effective, but Matisse on the Warriors, if he could just like be, do what, what Gary Payton is doing and right. have a little bit more like length and, you know, anticipation, those kinds of things. Like he could, he could absolutely be a, a more helpful player because of the, the kinds of ways that, Steph and those guys clean up, clean up their holes and stuff. Uh, yeah. My last question. Yeah. James Wiseman sucks, right? Like he sucks. Like he's not going to be a good player and you should, and they, and they should have traded him. Mike's been saying this for he, he totally sucks. And he, years. and they should have traded him and they're like, they got way too cocky and were like, we could actually not trade him and he could be good, but he's not. And he should have drafted LaMelo and that was a terrible pick, right? The army of like teenagers with player avies have like beaten me to death to where I will not give Wiseman takes. Um, publicly, <laughs> um, but I, I'm more. In, I've been I'm, there. I've been I'm there. I'm more in your way. camp. I'm more in your camp than the we're going to turn Wiseman into Giannis camp. Jesus. The, the funniest thing on earth was I when I didn't even um, know it was a camp. Oh, 
Wiseman's first training camp, like this was this was peak where you know the team is so beloved they could get the media to say anything. That's, that's you know, th- the coaches are going out there. It's like, yeah, he's reminding me of Giannis, reminding me of Embiid. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> he's not good at anything. There's not a thing he's good at. He's just he's, he's just he's tall. really good at being big and athletic. So. He's just tall and athletic and long. Like he's just not. And he's not, my, and he wants my to whole be dirt. Thing like is, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. That, that's my whole thing. I, I wish he wanted to be a center, but I think he wants to be Kevin Durant and he's, he's not Kevin Durant because really there's bad. only one KD. Yeah. So Preston um, who is his college teammate is better than him and will be better than him. He's it's not good. I and they should trade him. They should trade him for miles Turner a long time ago. Do they, are they missing anything? Like, by the way, no. this is the most warriors thing ever. They, they they wanted to start David Lee and Draymond Green beats him out. Yeah. Um, they get James Wiseman because they're they we need a big, we need a big, and yeah. Looney ends up being the one. It's and just, Otto Porter becomes like extremely helpful. That's the thing that the Sixers just haven't happened, is like the Warriors have gotten guys primarily because people want to play with Steph and want to live in the Bay or whatever. And they've made those players stuff. into like really good, helpful minimum salary guys. And the Sixers just like have, that has not happened. It just hasn't happened with Drummond for like half a season, but it wouldn't have worked in the playoffs. And like the Warriors are out here, just like everything is cashing in and making up for like a really horrible mistake drafting. James well, Johnson. I mean, oh, on the, on the flip side, do you not have faith that Maury can kind of find some of those guys next on? Like, Cause like the, the thing is he traded what, like every useful non-big contract player for, for James Harden. You can't, I mean, you can't find a Seth Curry and like that sort of stuff kind of on the fly in that case. Give him another summer, maybe. I hopefully. So, so I've been, I've defended him in that, but I would say that this is a crucial, this is takey, this is a crucial offseason for his. <laughs> the most important in Sixers well, history. <laughs> no, for him, like for his, his, his legacy can't be. I built the Rockets and then I went and got them when they were fucking bad. Like, like if, if, if the Harden trade, the, the Simmons situation was a bad one, but if he ends up giving Harden a contract and he looks terrible and isn't able to like piece together a roster here, then this will be the final taste in people's mouths for a while. And like, it's going to be hard to recover, you know? And I think this is a really fucking, I give him, not a pass, but I think he had a, a nearly impossible situation to deal with this year in terms of like getting players because of what Simmons did. But he's not getting like three more years to figure it out. No, know? I mean, in the 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 Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade is one of the worst trades in history, and the Harden trade that he received him in Houston is one of the best trades in history. So like, he's things have worked out for Daryl. And like he's largely but don't we give him the, but don't we give him a pass on the Chris Paul one? People certainly do. Yeah, but he's the guy, and he made the trade, and it worked. It worked out like shit. And so whether he pushed back enough or didn't, or pushed back to his owner or his player, or whatever. All, he went all, and all I know is like that, after that after that happened, he grew a massive struggle beard. Like it, it, there were signs <laughs> that he wasn't he wasn't in <laughs> he favor came on of a podcast. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> he looked. He looked like he was hurting. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Look, it's very exciting that you have a team that you assume is always going to win and will find a way. <laughs> and that is not relatable and it's not likable, but I do want you to 
win this series and save I'm, me and everyone the torture I'm, of a of a Boston I'm glad Celtics Larry Bird finish. tormented your your family in the 80s therefore you feel no choice but to root for the Warriors <laughs> I mean all of that I mean all of it all of that <laughs> Sam's podcast at Light Years, um, which you can find where you get podcasts. He's on Twitter at Sam Esfendiari, and the podcast is on Twitter at Light uh, YRS. Who has at Light Years? I don't know, but it uh, is claimed. It is claimed that uh, we didn't we didn't decide to misspell it for for effect. It's a so. great. Po- I I love our pod name, but Light Years is a hilarious pod name. I love it. I think it's a great name. I mean, you got to lean into the reason your team does things they do. Like you can be embarrassed by the fact that the owner took a victory lap about how smart he was for not trading the picks, even though none of those kids are playing in the rotation at all. Or you could lean into it and become as arrogant as you, as you can possibly be. Uh, Anything we're missing that you'd like to, uh, and by the way, you were, you know, Sam obviously has to do his own pod, uh, all the time now. So I appreciate your time doing this. We've often talked about like how exhausting the playoffs is for us because we do a podcast every each game. We normally do two times a week, but a pod after each game, but we've never had a last pass the second round. Like I can't, I can't imagine having to do it as much. <laughs> I, as w- I will say like, while you're right, I'm looking forward to like not doing it all the time. It's like, yeah. it is exciting because like, this is, you know what sucks? Doing a pod after they play the Magic November 17th. Like, yeah. what What do you want me to say? It's like, oh man, uh, Steph really didn't play hard. Is this going to affect their title chances? Like, no, it's the Orlando Magic. You know, like that type of stuff is uh, is far harder than this. Just unrelatable complaints from the yeah. guy who's <laughs> just going to win another championship. What a nice thing. Uh, thank you, Sam. Thank Appreciate you, Sam. it, man. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. See ya. And shout out to Andy Lopez, who has at light years, um, just some guy with 380 followers. So, so good luck to the Warriors who, uh, who are our team officially for the next couple of weeks. And they, uh, the first game is Thursday night. So we're, it, cur- what we're it, cursing them. We, this is a curse. Yeah. This is bad a news. Bad. bad news. I don't know why he accepted it. I have no idea. I would have denied it. I advised him on denying us. Um, Do you have an official pick? For the series? Um, I'll say Warriors in six. Yep. Um, six, between six or seven, I would say. It's, I mean, Boston's just really good, and they're, and they're long, and they're physical, and they play their asses off, and there's just a bunch of guys that can hit shots on the team. And if Grant Williams hitting shots and Al Horford's hitting shots, and they can play some, you know, they can play like a Peyton Pritchard this, this series because Golden State's not that big. They're not going to go like one-on-one type things. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good series. I I almost wish it, I wish it was Miami so I could just watch and not be invested. But now I'm like, in, it's gonna be a good series, and I'm gonna be invested. And if Boston wins, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be upset. I'm It'll upset be crushing. Already. Yeah. All right, we will talk to you. What's today? I don't even know. Thursday. We'll talk to you. No, Wednesday. We'll talk to you this weekend. Are you done with TTP? If you don't me, yeah, you know, Dub Nation. If you don't fuck with me, then I, then won't, I won't fuck, fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I, then I won't, won't fuck, fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing me.